Hi, I'm Stella Glory and this is Talking Vision Now, a podcast which takes a look at a Talking Vision interview of the week for you to listen to now. And Thursday, the 21st of May, is Global Accessibility Awareness Day. It's a day that focuses on digital access for people with disabilities and impairments. Now, today you'll be hearing from Online Training and Support Officer at Vision Australia, Jamie Kelly. Many of you will be familiar with Jamie. And he's in conversation with Vision Australia's National Manager of Digital Access, Neil King. And they're going to be talking about the importance of not just access to digital technology, but inclusion for all people with disabilities and impairments. Now, as a totally blind person, I work for Vision Australia in the library and I use JAWS and Braille and accessibility is a big part of my life daily all the time. We thought it'd be good to chat to Neil King, who's the Manager of Digital Access here at Vision Australia, because Neil's very much involved in accessibility. Welcome, Neil. Hi, Jamie. Can you tell us about your role at Vision Australia, what your team does, and how long you've been with the organisation for? Yeah, Jamie. Um, I've been with the organisation myself for 10 years now, but the actual digital access um, operation was set up back in 1999. So we've been operating now for 19, 20 years, providing support to government and commercial organisations to ensure that their websites, applications, documents, mobile apps, ATMs, basically anything with a digital interface um, can be made accessible to support people with disabilities. And would you say that uh, there's plenty of work for your team all the time? Oh, certainly. Look, this is a challenge which has never quite been completed let's say. I know that when my predecessors originally started our training courses and we were the first organisation to run public training in how to create accessible websites. Originally when they developed this, they thought that they'd run it for six months, everybody would be pretty much educated and that would be it. Um, you know, 20 years on, we're still running these courses, generally about one each month at a different state educating people and we're not just now training web developers we train content authors the designers as well as project managers and other members of digital teams and to really skill them up on how to create accessible information so the challenge is still out there there are still a massive number of websites which are inaccessible to people with all different disabilities so we certainly haven't um, reach the cusp of where we would really want to be, yeah. And Neil, you mentioned apps, which is uh, a good one because, of course, when you would have started at Vision Australia, there wouldn't have been that many apps as part of the equation, but I'm sure now it's a huge part of what you do. Would that be the case? Yeah, it certainly is. We work a lot now around the actual design of apps. So we work with uh, visual designers and the UX team around how to create their apps and their websites from the outset. As you said, you know, certainly apps and even mobile communication um, on mobile devices really wasn't present um, until about maybe, let's say, five, six years ago, where it's really grown. 
So that's a real focus nowadays. And often apps can be the more accessible solution to um, someone's website. To give you an example, if we ever go to realestate.com, um, it's, a, it's a website with lots of information on, and the desktop version has numerous different categories, functions, tables, forms, etc., images, all laid out across the table. It's almost grid-like in how to navigate. And it can be quite a challenging interface for even someone that isn't visually impaired to actually navigate, whereas the app is really a streamlined, streamlined sorry, version which is a lot more task-focused. So if we make our apps more accessible, they're actually a lot more usable often to everybody rather than just the desktop version. Neil, there's always a lot of discussion around accessibility and usability, which um, you know is a good topic for conversation, I know. How would you advise, what would you advise someone to do if they come across an accessible website these days? Well, certainly if you come across an inaccessible website, our advice would be that you content the owners of that website and inform them about the challenges that you're having. I've been working in this space myself for about 18 years, and apart from one organisation, everyone that I've ever dealt with, I believe, wants to do the right thing, and I think in 90% of cases, it's just a lack of awareness about what the challenges are that people are presented with. So I certainly would suggest that you go to the organisation, inform them of what the problems that you're having. If you don't get an adequate response, then certainly contact organisations like Vision Australia's advocacy team, um, and they can help pursue that for you, or even the Human Rights Commission will certainly take up that challenge and can verify the nature of the issue and help drive that change if an organisation isn't responding in the time scale and in the way that one would expect. Yes, I find web developers usually pretty um, uh, engaging normally. I will report any issues I sometimes come across with apps and no other people do. So it's a good idea if you find you're using an app where it doesn't appear to be very accessible, buttons are not labelled, that sort of thing, um, certainly contact the web developer. Neil, um, so how big is your team um, our team at the present, we're um, seven dedicated to our team, but we often spill over to other areas of the organisation and we have partner companies as well. So, for instance, we work with a company called Tag PDF that create accessible PDF and Word documents and support us with our training and auditing in that space. We also work with other organisations around creating e-learning and ensuring that's accessible. And we work very closely with a lot of our adaptive technology consultants. So we um, we aren't a team necessarily that large in ourselves, but once we actually look at all of the other partners and networks we work with, um, it's quite substantial, really. Can I ask you, is there any particular job that you've been involved with over the last 10 years that really stands out in your mind that you can tell us about? Oh, that's, you know, you put me on the spot, Jamie. <laughs> um Look, we've worked with some with some organisations which have really kind of made some great strides and improvements um, to their services. And quite often this has come on the back of maybe not doing the right thing to begin with. One, I guess I can freely talk about is Coles, for instance, uh, because that was in the public domain. Um, we actually undertook some work for Coles 
and regarding their online shopping website and gave them a report of the findings of what needed to be fixed with it. Now then, for some reason, that never obviously went into the right hands with Incoles and they received a complaint um, by a lady that was blind that couldn't use their services. Now, and once actually Coles then looked into that problem and it was resolved through um, negotiation, let's say, um, that they needed to take a different stance with it. They actually recognised that if they'd actually implemented the issues that we'd identified and those tailored recommendations to the website, they, they would have actually made it accessible from the outset. But like I say, it didn't fall into the right hands. But on the back of that complaint, Coles then set up a whole new different strategy around accessibility and inclusion. And they really have now led the way in many areas over the past few years about developing inclusive teams going forward, ensuring that all of Coles products and services now have accessibility and inclusion built in from the outset. I'm not here saying that what they do is perfect and nobody will have any issues with it. But I think as an organisation which has completely switched its approach to inclusion and now recognises the benefits of it and invests in it, I think it's a really good news story going ahead. Yes, I've certainly used that website and the app too, Neil, and say that it's certainly improved greatly over um, all in recent years. I guess, what would you say would be the most challenging areas for accessibility in the future? I think one of the biggest things that we're getting towards nowadays, Jamie, is the fact that accessibility has always been seen as a technical requirement. We have standards, which are the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, and these providers with the baseline to ensure that the website works with the assistive technology, to put it kind of simply. I think we've moved on from that, and that's really great because now we're looking more at inclusion, and therefore it isn't just about guidelines. It's really now measured on can the end user, can a person with a different adaptive strategy, can a mother that is holding a baby in one arm still use her mobile phone effectively so we're putting a lot more into situational considerations and situational inclusion and we're moving outside of just um, technical accessibility i think the other thing as well is we're moving a lot more to prevention rather than remediation we're not building a website or building an app or an atm and then saying okay now how do we get it to fit and work for someone with a disability we're now moving to that stage where at a very beginning of using requirements and design we're saying okay now how do we build accessibility and inclusion into this from the outset that has huge cost savings as you can imagine the cost to remediate something at the design stage really is minimal and that's when all the issues are introduced whereas the previous approach was always around them remediating it and building in accessibility afterwards which delayed projects which cost vast amount of money for web teams to then go back and redo what they'd already created and made accessibility a real challenge um, for organisations. So I think that's really where we're seeing the changes with it. I think the challenges going forward is that we've got new technologies arriving on the scene continually nowadays. One of the latest kind of um, frameworks that a lot of people are working in is React. 
and React is probably a bit slow to react to accessibility considerations. So we're really having to now work around and find solutions for that, which is the chosen framework at the moment. So as different technologies keep coming into play, there will be new and ongoing challenges. I think the other big space, which is AI, which really does provide some great opportunities for accessibility and is being taken very serious by the likes of Microsoft, really provide opportunities for the, forward, for the future going forward if we actually build accessibility and inclusion into that from the outset. And the same with using voice recognition. So our smart speakers. There's a lot of work around these at the moment, certainly, you know, internationally. Um, the UK, for instance, is really putting a huge emphasis on delivering government services via smart speakers so that the individual at home has a conversation when they're looking for government services um, rather than going online. They're looking at this as a new medium. So that presents, again, great opportunities. But with that comes barriers because we're not quite there yet. Thank you, Neil. I just want to ask you just before we close around other areas of accessibility because in my mind I think about building standards, that sort of thing. Yeah, you're totally right, Jamie. Um, the physical and the digital world, our touch points now really are blurred between the two of them. So it could be that you're going into an organisation such as you know, Service New South Wales or MyGov, Service Victoria, and when you're actually going into the physical building, then you're presented with digital interfaces, with an iPad to log yourself in or to complete some of the tasks that you need to do online there. So there is a real move now as well. And we work with an organization called Function around providing digital and physical inclusive services. We can't take one away from the other. We need to now be working to blend these both together. So accessibility and inclusion becomes business as usual and becomes in the blueprint of all physical and digital services going forward. That's excellent. Thanks very much, Neil, for coming on to Talking Vision today. That's been a most useful insight to what you and your team do here at Vision Australia. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks a lot. I'm Stella Glory and this is Talking Vision Now. And if you enjoyed the interview, remember you can listen to the full Talking Vision program each week on Vision Australia Radio, associated stations of RPH and the Community Radio Network. You can find Talking Vision on iTunes, Podbean and through the Vision Australia Library. You can also find and follow us on Twitter, just go and find Talking Vision 1, that's numeral 1, Talking Vision 1. And I'll see you next time.